So how nice is this crab? I know. We are at a table at which soon food will soon be appearing. We're at an art gallery. It's almost like we are in Sex and the City or something. It's a bit Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yes, yes. Is that right? um, no, we had the supercation, that little piece of pie. Oh, okay. Yeah, thank you very much. Wow. Wow, that is record-breaking time, isn't it? <laughs> it's not a Chat 10 Looks 3 episode unless there is an interruption, but usually not in the first minute. Yeah, and the person is usually wearing dancewear, so oh, this, this is, um, is yeah, disappointing. Right. Somebody tweeted me, actually, to ask the location of the breastfeeding room slash Chat 10 Looks 3 I saw studio. that. You were straight on to it, so I uh, politely didn't respond. Um, but, yes, at so least I, there'll be independent um, uh, confirmation that there is, in fact, such a room and it doesn't just exist in our heads. So we are at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, sitting in an outdoor area. It's a beautiful Sydney winter's day. It doesn't feel like a winter's yeah. day. And we are about to go and see the Archibald Prize. That's yes, that's friends. for me. Thank you. Soup. Curry sweet potato soup. Thank you very much. Yum. Thank you. are having some form of quiche. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, they brought me a fork and a spoon to eat quiche with. I guess I can just chop the side That of might be... Oh, no, that isn't my cutlery. That is yours. <laughs> that is quite <laughs> Well, yours isn't a soup spoon. It's quite a sharp spoon. So you could gouge out an eyeball with it. And also, that's a very small piece of quiche. I like my quiche usually about double that. Okay, I'm going to photograph that. Oh, no, I'm not because I've plugged in my phone oh, over okay. the other side of the restaurant. I'll do it on my phone. So, yeah, so anyway, we're sitting here. We're about to go to the Archibald Prize. So, um... I've been living quite dangerously today, Crab. Firstly, I rode my Vespa over the Harbour Bridge, which I never do. That is actually quasi-suicidal. I, I think it's actually, you know, ridiculously dangerous. And hang on, I'm just going to try and get the food and you in shot. Okay. Sorry, hang on. Put the quiche in the foreground so you can see it. it. <laughs> um, and then, even more dangerously, I have shown up to record the podcast without a single note. Ah. Like, that's very unlikely. I've got notes this time, so I can do most of the talking. Very good. Um, um, I know someone who um, once, in an attempt to get to a church in Kirribilli, mm. drove back and forth over the Sydney Harbour Bridge seven times. Oh. <laughs> you know, just getting mixed up, wrong lane. Oh, my oh. God, now I'm going somewhere. Well, for the Sydney Riders Festival. they were just sobbing. The Sydney Riders Festival this year, I was running late for an event, not, not one of ours. Or I, I wasn't running late, actually. I left home an hour before. And... Uh, got stuck in horrendous traffic trying to get down to where the Riders Festival was. So I ended up going over the bridge thinking maybe coming in the opposite direction. Oh, the traffic sneak up on better. the festival from an yeah. unexpected direction. <laughs> and it, it did. It actually worked. It was completely fine. But there was a certain point where, because, you know, I like to be a good 15, 20 minutes early. There was a certain point where it was seven minutes before the start of the event. I was still on the Harbour Bridge just having a complete heart attack. But anyway, it was all fine. Um, what's been happening? Uh, well, I am... Um, I have, um, in the last week, been to another gallery for quite an extended visit. I went to Mona for the first time. Oh, how good is it? Yeah, it was pretty good, and I've never been there before. Just for people and who I don't know, this is the Museum of Old and New Art in Hobart. Which is um, uh, David Walsh's project. Um, and, and we stayed there. I went for a friend of mine's um, 40th. Mm -hmm. So the two of us went... Without any children, like my mother and father came and um, looked after the children for two nights. So it's, I think probably the first time we've been away together without any children, you know, certainly since we've had three. And it was like a... Um, the novelty of it was just so uh, complete because I've never been there before, never stayed there before, certainly. Right. A lot of the artists in there I'd not heard of. I was catching up with friends that I don't see often enough. Mm -hmm. And so it was just this incredible 
little excursion into completely novel territory. And that what I love about that museum is that it's um, completely original. Mm. I love that there are there's this kind of running hilarious warfare in the commentary between the curator <laughs> yeah. um, of the gallery and David Walsh. He's yeah. got his own commentary, gonzo commentary, overlapping with the curators. You know, that was so great just to watch them bicker about works of art that they disagreed on. There was one piece of art that David Walsh said, um, oh, I just think this is crap, I don't think it should be here. <laughs> um, just those little points about it make it an utterly engaging experience. I can just a complete break from everything. It was so good. I really loved it. You probably feel like you had three weeks off, not just a weekend. Yeah, it was really, yeah, it was it was fabulous. So I, um, I completely agree. I had I went down there to interview David Walsh and I had, I must say, uh, low expectations for the museum because I felt like, oh, is it, because everything I read it was all about, oh, it's all about sex and death and I thought, oh, is it just going to be And the poo in? room, the, yeah, poo the poo room. room yeah. Mind I you, just, the poo room, that was, that was pretty stinky. Jeremy had to, room, like, actually. Jeremy couldn't, um, actually rest post poo room until it had a shower. It's, just like, it's in my oh, hair. Wow. It's everywhere. Yeah, sorry. Keep going. Um, but as you say, like the work, some of the work was just so beautiful and the things that weren't beautiful were really engaging. Mm. The building itself is phenomenal. It's one of the great works of art there. And um, I just found it a thoroughly engaging. And also some of the stuff was really witty. And David Walsh's yep. commentary is really witty. Yep. So uh, it was a really enjoyable experience. I absolutely loved it. And I think it's a wonderful addition to Australia's cultural life. And I'll be fascinated to see if David Walsh keeps sustaining it to the degree that he has because he's pouring a massive amount of his own yeah. money into it. Um, I think part of the... Spe- the reason it's so spectacular is the space. It's just this sort of incredibly lavish space-wise. And it, there's something about seeing an artwork in a place where it's where the space is built for it. That giant Sidney Nolan work in there, which is like something, I don't know, a thousand or so um, sort of roughly A3 um, artworks that are all framed separately and hung together so that if you stand back it looks like a giant serpent. I mean it's just this extraordinary piece of work but you, it's huge, it's sort of battleship sized and it was under wraps for a long time because you know who, who would be able to put it anywhere so yeah. you sort of step past your absolute disbelief that Sidney Nolan is like one of the most prolific artists out could actually have a sort of stashed away thousand um, yeah. sheet painting that you know wasn't seen for a while it's just a spectacular thing but um that book is pretty good too isn't it um you've you've read david walsh's book oh, right it was, i've really enjoyed it um he he has such a unique way of seeing the world and thinking about things and the book is written like he just sat down and just wrote in order of what came into his mind. And he followed every thought down every rabbit hole and then wove it back around. And it was so engaging and interesting. I really thought it was a terrific piece of work. And he was an interesting guy to meet. Um, he was on the day that I was there. He was up having lunch in the restaurant that's part of Mona with Heston Blumenthal. I was going to say, I bet Heston Blumenthal was involved, right? And he left this really incredibly long lunch to come off and do an interview with me. And then he was going back up to meet Heston 
And they were going in David Walsh's chopper down to David Walsh's beach house where Heston was cooking them dinner. How good is that? I was thinking, oh, please I invite me. Act- but I hope you actually feature in his name dropping for the day. Imagine <laughs> if it was in his memoir. No. It was like, I had this great day, you know, lunch with Heston, uninterrupted, four hours of lunch, followed by the chopper Some ride. Annoying and you're slang, reading through it going, I didn't even make the run um, I kept thinking, oh, please invite me. But then I thought, no, it would probably involve some kinky threesome, so I don't want to be it part of that. It almost certainly. Also, I think there is, there is a chance, I don't know, like if a chopper went down... Featuring with you, David Walsh and Heston Blumenthal on it, would you be also killed, or who would be the also killed person? You know how like, oh, there yeah, would be right. someone in the headline, you know, world famous chef Heston Blumenthal yeah. killed in chopper accident, right? Also, also killed, killed. Lisa. <laughs> well, I think actually the first thing that would happen would be journos would be googling to see who was paying for the chopper and was it on the I ABC am. dime? Was it on the? And when the problem was there, exactly. Mm. Um, very dodgy to get a chopper these days. Yeah, yes, well... Mm. That, um, the location also on the Derwent, it's just so beautiful. I just thought that everything about going to Mona, I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. It was really terrific. Yeah. The only, like, I hesitate to mention this because it's hilarious and also slightly embarrassing, but um, it's along with sex and death theme. Uh, it was sort of less sexy and not quite as deathy as I was, mm, ex- I was expecting, but... You know how he's um, also installed this fast catamaran, which is the best place, best way to get to and from the. Um, I was going to say the best place to have sex. No, no, no. Anyway, um, yeah. we were with um, our friend who was massively celebrating, so we splashed out and got these sort of tickets where you can they give you a glass of wine and some canapes on the ride, which nice. was kind of fantastic, lovely. <laughs> so we sat down. Jeremy said something about, because um, all the staff wear boiler suits, they're all, oh. yeah, and he said something right. about, you know, sexily dressed staff, and I said, what, in boiler suits? And he said, yeah. So I found out that, you know, <clears throat> I've lived with someone for many years who finds boiler suits sexy, and I didn't know. So there you go. That's a low a low bar, it's, sexy, so, which is great. I know. It's <laughs> real really comedy. Good. If he was I'm like, getting yeah, into heavy those, duty denim. Those elaborate, you know, what are they called? I was going to call them kittens, but... No. What are they called? Kittens? Teddies. Oh, my God. You are an idiot. Kittens. Kittens. That's like how I, every time I try and just say Brazilian, which is not very often, I always accidentally call it a Bavarian, which is a totally different concept. Bavarian. Bavarian. Wouldn't you like more coverage in Bavarian? Yeah, exactly. No wonder I, you know, live with somebody who likes boiler suits. I was watching um, this week the show that's come out that stars, it's been a big hit, it stars Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Oh, why are you um, always onto these things before I am? That and sucks. What is called, it? I think it's called Frankie and Grace. I can't quite remember, but I think it is Frankie and Grace. Mm. And um, the premise of it is that these two women who are, I think, in their 70s or around 70, late 60s, their husbands are business partners and have been business partners for 50 years, and the husbands sit them down over dinner and say, we're leaving you, we're a couple, we're actually both gay. And so we're leaving you. And the women have never really liked each other, but they sort of bond over this experience. Anyway, I'm watching episode one. I had a, a quite the revelation about our friendship oh watching it. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> so I was watching Brendan? Episode... <laughs> you may want to bleep this next bit. <laughs> so I was watching episode one. And hello. Hello. Lee. Hello. Matilda's just discovered your blog. Oh, oh yeah. we're actually recording one right now. Oh, our podcast. I'm Matilda. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> 
first time, long time listening. So you know that the interruptions are a standard part yeah. of it. So you've actually done us a favour. So I really only discovered it about two days ago. A friend of mine told me about it. I'm a law media student and a oh. secret musical theatre fan. So oh, oh my god! Right up here. Like I say, crab people love the show tune. Great. This is a setup, isn't it? How lovely to meet you. And tweet in once we put this one to air. No, no, we stay in. All interruptions. We don't have edit facilities, friends. Bye bye. So uh, I'm watching it, and I'm watching Lily Tomlin, and I'm thinking. Wow, hasn't Lily Tomlin got beautiful hair? That's what Crap's hair is going to look like when she's 70. It's gorgeous. And then a couple of scenes later... Imagine that in a boiler suit. And they're quite... It's, sort of, it's a bit of an odd couple premise. Um, they're very different, these two women. And then Jane Fonda shows up and I look at her and I go, oh, she's wearing a cardigan exactly like my cardigan. And then all of a sudden I have this blinding realisation. I thought Crab and I were friends because we're so alike. I think we're friends because we're completely different. We're the odd couple. We're like an odd couple. And all of these well, welcome moments... welcome to the party, sales. <laughs> Jesus, I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> and so there was all of these moments where... Um, that just flat, flashed before my eyes, like, oh, my God, the birds. Oh, my God, her liking of the imaginary friend, that stupid thing in Inside Out. And so I just had all of these moments of all of these points of disagreement. and realized... You're about to say something really hurtful that you haven't actually said out loud before, aren't you? No, I, can't I just realised... You're about to say... <laughs> I realised we're the odd couple. We're nothing alike. And I thought all this time that we're alike, but we're not alike at all. Do you think we can encourage our husbands to hook up? No, that would be foolish, of course. What about They could bond over how annoying we are. Yeah, that's true. Speaking about being married to journalists, this is just an incredibly uh, cheap segue opportunity I just spotted. I have got all of this stuff to read for work at the moment, and so um, I have sneakily been cheating on those things with something that I found on my Kindle um, that I haven't read for a while, but just love so much, which is Heartburn by Nora Ephron. Oh, my God, just get straight onto it. This was like a really controversial... Novel. So Nora Ephron's probably better known as a, um, I guess, as a, a screenwriter. So she wrote um, right. Harry, Harry Met Sally and Julie and Julia. She's very interested in cooking. Uh, Heartburn is sort of a novel. It's it's written as a novel, but actually it's the story of her, the breakdown of her marriage to Carl Bernstein, right. you know, Wood Wooden Bernstein. Um, and it was controversial at the time because. Uh, they're both so famous and then when they split up she wrote this sort of lightly disguised account of the whole thing and the great thing about it is that it's, it's very very funny it's funny in a kind of she's like a sort of lady Woody, Woody Allen in the tone of her humour it's very very sort of scatty funny um, stuff um, but also every few pages there's a recipe she just chucks in a recipe because the character in the book is a um, is a sort of food writer and she's got a cooking show mm-hmm. and so she's halfway through talking about how appalling it is that she's caught crabs from the woman that her husband's having this affair yeah. with and then she says you know what when you're really, really down, what you need is a really crispy potato. And so then she'll go into this sort of, uh, you know, potato pancake recipe or, you know, and, or, you know, the, the best baked cheesecake or whatever. So it's a very useful book to read, but also hilarious. And also a bit um, totally outrageous for me to be dipping back into it right now when I've got all these other things to do. But so much fun. I should read that because it's you one of those books it. that, you know, for years people have talked about how fantastic it is. And I just love the idea that she's gone, oh, but you can't. 
Burns. I'll write a note. I know. And everyone will know it's you. And exactly. And how, how can Carl Bernstein possibly um, complain? He's been invading people's privacy for decades. So it's just like, well, it's a fair cop. He does come out of it looking like a real ass as well. Well, I remember reading um, a book called um, Adventures in the Screen Trade by a guy called William Goldman, who's a Hollywood screenwriter. He's a really successful one. Wrote oh. The Princess Bride, wrote um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, it's great. You would love it. It's one of those great insider books. Mm. And he talks about, he was writing the screenplay for All the President's Men. Right. And so they met yeah, I um, read this one, Woodward and Bernstein. And, oh, really? he was scathing of Bernstein. He well, Bernstein was, had yeah. terrible tickets on himself. He's a bit loose, I think. He said that, I think his phrase was, he sure thought he was catnip to the ladies. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had done um, dinner with Carl Bernstein once. Clang! <laughs> Did you find him like catnip? <laughs> Uh, no, I did not. Um, but he was a great raconteur, you know. He obviously right. he was a Washington Post columnist for many, many years post um, Watergate. In fact, half of this book is about um, the husband in the in the book of Heartburn is always sort of dashing out to write, you know, a syndicated column about whatever indignity that's ever that's been inflicted upon the family. So, but um, the other the other book actually that's absolutely rockets to mind, which in my next lazy uh, opportunity to cheat and read something um, that is totally unnecessary for my working life, um, I will reread, which is You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again by Julia Phillips. Have you ever read it? No. It's like one of the most sort of controversial, tell-all Hollywood kind of, you know, who's up who things right. ever. It's spectacularly scandalous to read and, you know, great fun and, of course, caused, caused everybody to nearly kill each other. Um, <laughs> Bizarrely, I'm also reading a book at the moment that includes um, constant recipes thrown into it, which is at the yes. end of every chapter, in, in the chapter there'll be some reference to somebody eats something or there's a meal or had or someone buys something from a street stall and at the end it'll have the recipe for the thing. It's a book called Palace of Treason by <laughs> you just get You just undo one more button with every day you're on leave, don't you? <laughs> I know. I love that the other Your day... Your heaving bosom is now apparent. <laughs> I love that the other day we were having a highbrow conversation with a mutual friend and I was talking about a book called The Fourth Revolution by the editor of The Economist, John Micklethwaite, about how Western democracies are going very badly around the world. And then I had to admit that, oh, well, I'm actually reading Palace of Treason <laughs> by Jason Matthews. So Jason Matthews wrote this spy thriller about a couple of years ago called Red Sparrow. And mm. it was... I love it. Which I've not read, but you... Oh, um, perfect holiday And just read. about everybody else I know who's read it just That's because I've, like, it. evangelised everyone with it and said, you have to read it, you have to read it. It was just You a are really, the Red Sparrow. I am the Red Sparrow. It was just, like... It was just one of those spy thrillers that, from the first page, you were just hooked into it. It was an easy, gripping read, like, the perfect holiday read. Like, yeah. just enjoyable quite well written, some bad writing in parts, but generally, like, just a good plot-driven thriller, basically. Mm. And so I've just been dying for him to write the sequel, which has come out uh, in June, and it's called Palace of Treason. And, um, Did it re yeah. all your boxes? Look, the opening wasn't as good as the last opening, right. but you couldn't possibly have as good an opening as the last one. Um, but, oh, it's, yeah, it's completely doing it for me. Not, not quite so much as last time around, but it's just it's like having a big bag of burger rings or something. It's just very satisfying. <laughs> I love burger rings. <laughs> very satisfying. No one's ever known what was in burger rings. And I remember when I used to work in the press gallery um, with Phil Curry in the advertiser offices, um, 
And we had, you know, your typical cupboard of stupid souvenirs that everybody had to bring back every time they went away with Howard or went to some weird location they had to buy something dumb. And somebody had bought one of those, bought one of those little um, models of the Empire, of the Statue of Liberty. And I, at some point, had um, decorated the spire of the Statue of Liberty with a single burger ring from a packet that I was presumably having for dinner. And after about some three years, it was still there, totally oh, un- undecomposed. No, yeah, it's just like it's wow. like cockroaches. Oh, yeah, that's pretty. Speaking of advertisements, I've been fascinated by this ads ca- ad, ad campaign that McDonald's has at the moment, which the tagline is something like, how very un-McDonald's. Right. That's just amazing to me. But there's a long history of advertising, isn't there, that kind of, in that where companies do their research and they realise that they're as defined by what people hate as they are by what people like. And that in order to grapple with people's deep perceptions of them, they've got to actually name the thing that people hate about it. It's really, like there's that famous Marmite ad in the UK, you know, Marmite being that sort of horrible, sticky, not very nice version of Vegemite. I'm aware that most British people would (laughs) just invert the the proper names there. Um, But, and the TV ad I remember was all of these people purportedly being given Marmite for the first time and kind of screwing up their faces and going, oh, yuck, that's disgusting. And like, this is a TV ad. And then the, the, the punchline of the ad is Marmite. It's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so, yeah. But who's going to then, like, who are you going to pull to your product who's not in the existing product audience? Well, presumably, an ad like that, which is kind of quite intriguing, like the, you know, we're sitting here talking about it and going... Maybe you'd think, oh, oh should can't be that bad, but we should try it and see. Is it really that bad? Mm, well, see, as a vegetarian, I'm interested in going in there and seeing, you know, oh, what do you got for the vegetarians then? Because, I mean, at this stage, it's basically a bread sandwich with, with lettuce and cheese and pickles. <laughs> see, it's left me puzzled because I think the only time I go to McDonald's is when I'm either in a foreign locale and I don't know Or driving between Sydney and Canberra. Or driving between Sydney and Canberra, exactly. Maroolan. And I just think, well, I just know what I, I just want fries and I want a burger. Like, Mm. and so I know what I'm going to get. So when they say, how very are McDonald's? I think, what? I just want the burger and fries. Ah, right. So you're one of the, um, see, I would watch that and think, yeah. Maybe I'll go and have a look. I know I never will, but you know, in my brain, I've toyed with well, the idea. And you're thinking, that's it. It's over between yeah, us. Yeah, I, I just feel confused. Like what? I but just want to be... drunkenly eat a soggy, you know, saggy sandwich with something I don't know what it is inside it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just it's it's a ritual of the road trip. It's basically yeah. the only time I have McDonald's or Kentucky Fried Chicken or that sort of yeah. food. And I must say, I do enjoy it because yeah. it's part of the ritual of the. So you know, I'll be thinking, oh, awesome, we're going to be there soon. I'm going to have those yummy Kentucky chips with the seasoning, I'm going to have, you know, a bucket of, well not a bucket, but some of that chunk, yummy ch- um, fried chicken. Oh god. Today's podcast no, is actually brought to you Jeez. by... Sales. Um, now, the other thing that I did this week was I went to Adelaide and uh, attended and spoke at the launch of Christopher Pine's book. And what is Christopher Pine's book like first before we get into the launch? Well, it's called A Letter to My Children. Right. So it's kind of like in style and execution. It, it's sort of about, it's sort of a bit of a, a, a it, it's, 
it intertwines the story of his dad, who was um, quite a well-known ophthalmologist in Adelaide. He helped to set up the craniofacial unit with uh -huh. David David. He's a really fascinating guy and uh, had a giant family, one of whom uh, was Christopher. And Christopher has written this book, which is sort of a bit of a political memoir, but also um, kind of talks about the public service of his father in like, quite a beautiful way, I must say. Um, and it's all kind of tied up as a letter to Christopher Pine's own children to explain to them, A, why he's away all the time, and B, uh, what, the, what, what the value is of a life devoted to public service. So... I kind of teased him. I think it was it, the whole book is kind of like a cross between dreams of my father, right. profiles in courage, <laughs> and um, with a quite a bit of Nancy Mitford <laughs> too, because the Pines had that kind of childhood, you know, tumbling right. mess, puppies, right. that sort of stuff. Uh, yes. Is it well written? Can, can you write? Yeah, it's pretty engaging. There's some. There's. Um, I mean, the funniest bits, I thought, um, and, you know, I'm always looking for a bit of funny uh, in a memoir, um, were uh, Pine's account of his own uh, uh, securing of the seat of Sturt oh, as in his mid-twenties, you know. And yeah, he has told me that story in person and I had, like, tears running down my face. Like he's he's just, so you know, funny. bullying eastern suburbs, elderly ladies and yeah, you know, going around and, oh, my God. But actually... The account of his father's death is actually um, quite um, touching. You know, it, there's something quite matter-of-fact about it, but it also makes a huge amount about him quite clear, I think, which even though I've known him since, you know, we were at university together and have kind of, I guess... Thank you very much. Thank you. ...run into each other very regularly since on, a, on the basis of the, the jobs that we both wound up in, but... Um, he, um, uh, <laughs> sorry, everyone. At 3pm, there will be a guided tour of the Archibald, Wynn and Sweet Bright, starting from the exhibition entry on lower level one. Don't forget to stop in at the gift shop for more of that delicious <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wang, 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 wang. Oh, my God, seriously. Yeah. How old was Christopher um, when his father died? He was, I think, 19. Right. And the funny thing is, it's not funny at all, but it... The reason I say it kind of explains a bit about him is that his father died at 59 of a heart attack after extensive difficulties with his heart. His grandfather died at, I think, 60, also of a heart attack. So in some little corner of Christopher Pine's brain, he's always thought, I'm going to be dead by the time I'm 60. And that, to me, and he sort of writes about this, you know, in the book, and it kind of explains a lot about the kind of person that he is. I think he's so incredibly in a hurry um, and very um, determined, you know, to the and point of bloody he's bold, you know, he, yeah. yeah, so he's not, he doesn't hang back, he's out, he pushes out, you know, yeah. so he's not sort of a wilting violet sitting in the corner. That, that's interesting. Anyway, I did, but I also think it's kind of hilariously shameless of him to write this book, you know, A Letter to My Children. And the whole thing is this sort of, of praise to his godlike father from a from a dutiful son. I'm just thinking those poor kids. Like, I mean, what do they have to respond in kind with their own novel or major work of art or something? So I actually launched the book by writing my own letter 
to Pine's children. Which I begged you to send me, but you did, and it was so funny. Can you find a way to publish that somewhere? Yeah, maybe so can we pop it up on our yeah, website? Totally. Yeah, totally. It was so funny, and I won't make you go through all the funny lines, but just the final paragraph, can you just say oh, what yeah. that was? I have got a copy of it uh, um, somewhere. I said... Um, yeah, the dismount is... <laughs> the dismount, exactly. The dismount is... Uh... Also remember, children, that for all you might have missed your father over the long years when he was absent for weeks at a time, imagine how much worse it would have been to have him at home. <laughs> Which is totally true. This is a great story. Laughing when you um, well, I wasn't really looking, but I thought there are many people here, so he can't shoot me. And so, but um, his wife, who is oh, she completely fabulous, um, she did feed me a bit of information, um, including this fabulous detail, which is that they've got this sort of family history of killing pets. I mean, it's very apparent in the book that um, Christopher's own, you know, parents and family were terrible at keeping pets alive and it seems to have been handed down. Anyway, um, and apparently uh, Pine said to his family quite recently, um, if you people get one more pet, I'm leaving. And so they immediately went and bought a rabbit. <laughs> and he hasn't uh, moved out, of course. Very which means aggressive. They've fixed it because they're fixers. <laughs> anyway. A family of It's good when politicians write books, though. I mean, like, oh, whatever, you know, whether they're good or bad or different, I, I always think it's, um, it's useful. I mean... I agree. Chris, uh, Chris Bowen has just written one, which I'm not sure if it's come out yet or it's about to come out. It's about... He's gone and interviewed Australian treasurers. He's looked at all Australian treasurers oh, really? and what they've done, and then he's interviewed the living ones and just gone through it. And, like, I think... Good on you for doing that, because he's currently the shadow treasurer. I'm sure he will have gleaned some wisdom from that exercise. And he's clearly thinking things through in a contextual way, not just in a way of, oh, here's my immediate problem, what yeah. I'm faced with. So I think, great. And also that anything that sheds light on who a person is, what they're like, yep. what their motivations are, yep. is really useful. Yep. So I applaud Christopher Pine as well for writing that book. Because you know that when you're a politician, you write something like that and people are going to mock you and, you know, poke fun at More you. More than and, they already mock you with yeah, Christopher. Yeah, and try to find ways to use it against you. So it actually takes a fair bit of courage, I reckon, to yep. put yourself out there like that. And so, yeah, I'm very glad he's done it. I, yeah, I don't know what's going on with me at the moment, but everything I read or see seems to be somebody's tribute to their dead parent. Like, I mean, that's sort of the most touching thing about this Pine book. But I've also, I've just finished reading that Kate Grenville book, oh, yeah. uh, One Life, which she wrote about in Mother. We've talked about it before. I'm mm. um, doing something at the Melbourne Writers Festival with her um, quite soon. But we haven't, I haven't told you about this, but um, just after the Sydney Writers Festival, I went to see um, Sufjan Stevens. Mm -hmm. He's an American singer-songwriter um, who's whole recent new album is all about the death of his mother and it's this sort of incredible performance um, that he did at the Opera House that was sad kind of slow to the point of um, being kind of funereal Mm. His story is so incredible. His mother abandoned him when he was um, very young mm. and he um, only got back in touch with her or re-established contact with her when she was dying. So this is all about her death. Um, mm. And it's this 
The song, um, this great song from the album, which I remember most, is called Should Have Known Better. We should put up a, a link to it. It kind of talks about his mother. Um, and uh, it, uh, there's an amazing uh, interview with him called True Myth, um, which I'll post a link to as well because it's um, an explanation of his experience of his mother's death. But like, there's so many others that I've been reading recently and I wonder if it's a phase that I'm going through. Am I preparing to memorialise my parents? I do hope not. It's weird um, the, how the universe sometimes throws things in your path and then you feel like all of a sudden you're reading a lot about death or all of a sudden you're reading a lot about a certain thing and it's like, well, has it always been there and I just haven't noticed it and then now it feels like all of a sudden there's all these things. Like I remember a couple of years ago I had never heard the, the word walker used in the context of a man who's gay, who is very friendly with a woman to sort of have the appearance, sort of yep. like a handbag yep. or something. I'd never heard the word walker. And it was used in conversation, and I asked the person who used it to mm. explain it to me. That very afternoon, I was reading a novel, and the word walker was used <laughs> in it. And I just you thought... Just save myself a trip to the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, well, how many novels have I read where that's been used? And I've skimmed over it, just thinking it meant one who walks. Or a frame. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was just so odd to me that the universe... And then, then of course, you're thinking, why is the universe sending me these signs about walkers? What's going on? <laughs> wow, this is a hard one for Brendan, isn't it, this whole podcast? It is. Sorry, Sorry mate. Hey, um, we're going to have to go because what we're doing here is going up to critique a... Um, or critique the Archibald Prizes. Prize. Sorry, I'm really tired today. I'm not speaking complete nonsense. Um, we're going up to critique to twit crit... I think it's called the Archibald Prize. What does this Prize? actually involve? We just walk around and I actually have make no smart-ass remarks about work that took somebody a really long time to I do. I really don't know. Um, anyway, I'm looking... I've it's not like been... the essence of Twitter, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take someone else's hard work and reduce it to... I, have I haven't not... even touched my tart. Can I eat your bread if you're not going to eat it? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, Try some of that soup, too. It's really good. Oh, that brings knives. I can't I know. I, I couldn't have buttered the bread because there's only a spoon and a fork. It's Who like a... waste bread? What's wrong with you? Again, oh. the odd couple. Oh, it's an opportunity for shooting. But up, but up, but up. Okay, we're going to leave you there, and I'm going to sing the rest <laughs> of that song to Crab. <laughs> Bye. Bye.